Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Welcome back to the show. Going to keep you guys under an hour tonight. That is my promise, and it is our very first A10 Focus show. The Flyers open up A10 Play this coming Wednesday night, December 30th, against LaSalle. And so I decided it is a great time to catch up with some LaSalle fans. I found them. I tracked them down. They actually have a podcast now. These guys are trying to, you know, galvanize support for the LaSalle fan base. And um, really excited that I got the opportunity to sit down and talk with them. So rarely have we gotten an opportunity on this show uh, to talk to God honestly. LaSalle fans, so that will happen today, right after I, you know, entertain you with some ramblings. Uh, before the intro, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Healthnetic CBD. They're a CBD company founded and run by a family of UD alums, the Murrays. Healthnetics is a premium CBD brand available online at healthnetics.com. These are all natural, THC-free, and they're all made in the USA. All their products have a QR code directly on the packaging linking to the lab results so you know you're getting exactly what you paid for and there's nothing to lose. Healthnetics has a 100% money back guarantee and that's what you would expect from a business run by UD alums, right? So go to healthnetics.com, use promo code FLYERS for 10% off your order and free shipping. Again, healthnetics.com, promo code FLYERS for 10% off your order. All CBD companies are not the same. You can trust the UD alums, and you can trust Healthnetics. They're bringing you the show, which starts right now. To Hall, somebody get a shot up at the buzzer, it's good! Brooks Hall! The place hits it at the buzzer, the deep flyer! And the deep steps is all done! This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10 and among Dayton Flyers basketball fans everywhere. The only podcast on the internet consistently reminding you to wear red and be loud. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever, however you are listening to us. It is absolutely great to have you. My name's Sully. This is Talking Out Loud, and this is still the number one Dayton Flyers basketball podcast anywhere, internet, radio, or otherwise. You can catch us on ESPN Radio in Dayton, of course, but you can always find me right here at the Talking Out Loud show, and all you have to do is Google Talking Out Loud, L-O-W-D, wherever you listen to podcasts. It'll come right up. It's really easy. And I want to start the show there because we um, have had a, a great response to the rebranding of Talking Out Loud from the old Blackburn Review podcast, but now I behoove you as the A-10 season starts to please subscribe, okay? 
just go, you know, where you listen to this, wherever it is, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, if you listen to it on Stitcher, wherever, SoundCloud, just go, subscribe, click on that, it helps me, it helps me, you know, verify to people that I'm doing a good job and people are actually listening to the show, my listening numbers are fine, believe me, but I would just like it if you guys could do something for me, okay, go hit subscribe on the Talking Out Loud podcast, and then every time I come out with a new episode, it'll just, boom, pop right up on your phone with a push notification, so it's me doing you a favor, and you're doing me a favor, it's, you know, this is what it's all about, it's a give and take, all right, let's get into the Dayton Flyers talk for this evening. And uh, we're in uh, that interesting limbo week where the season's over uh, as far as the non-con and the new season begins. I'm talking about the A-10 season, of course, and it begins for the entire conference on Wednesday, December 30th. So I'm coming to you here on the 28th. It is a Monday afternoon where I'm sitting and I'm delighted to be with you today talking Dayton Flyers hoops. Uh, first things first, when we start the A-10 season, um, you know, we have to kind of take stock of the, the teams in the conference, who has a chance, who doesn't have a chance, and, um, and, and really uh, taking a look at the holistic landscape of the conference, I always think is important to get an idea of who is a legitimate threat to win and who are the games where Dayton basically is going to have to win uh, to keep pace to get an at-large bid. So, as we're cruising into the A-10 season here again, all 14 teams are set to go on Wednesday, Um, so it's going to be a great day of games across the conference, and they're staggered, so uh, some teams play at 1 o'clock, some teams play at 7, some at 8, some in the middle of the afternoon, Um, so if you're an A-10 fan like me, and you're probably at least a borderline A-10 fan, it's going to be a good day of hoops. I'm really excited for it, uh, especially midweek on a Wednesday and a weird week where it's, you know, the the week between Christmas and New Year's is always kind of bizarre. Um, but we're going to get going here. We're going to have A-10 hoops Wednesday, December 30th. We're looking forward to it. All right, so let's talk about what we know and what we have yet to find out. Here's what we know so far. St. Louis is the team to beat in the Atlantic 10 in the 2021 season. Um, cut and dry every year. It seems that we have one or two teams, um, specifically that we have one team that is the team to beat. Obviously last year it was the flyers. Um, number like 2018, it was Rhode Island. They were cruising through the conference and, um, you know, every year it just seems like there is a team or two teams to beat when we go into the conference slate. And this year is really no different. Um, St. Louis is going to be at the top of the conference and just about everybody's rankings that you're going to take a look at. Uh, my A-10 preview will be up on Tuesday on the BlackburnReview.com. It is my annual A-10 preview. I do it every single year and it, people love it every year, so I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and then behind them, you have Richmond who has sputtered a little bit uh, out of the gate. Um, VCU, Dayton, Davidson are all kind of right there behind St. Louis. Um, if we're looking down the Ken Palm rankings, Um, of where all these teams are landing right now going into conference play. St. Louis is at the top at 30. Um, So it it really does bode well for the conference when we do have a top 30 squad. St. Louis is knocking on the door of the AP top 25 as well. Um, So we should see them get a rank spot here in the next couple of weeks, uh, barring uh, barring a bed shitter. And there's lots of bed shitters in the A-10, let's be honest, people. 
So St. Louis at 30, VCU's at 57, Richmond 58, and Dayton at 59. So, you know, I think that kind of explains itself right there. Those three teams are basically indistinguishable given what they have done to this point on their resume. Um, So we've talked about it a couple of times here on this show of what is the expectation for the Flyers now that the dust is settled on the non-con season. And really, what it seems like the expectation is here for Dayton is to go 14-4 and in the A-10. That should put them comfortably in the field. Um, and I say comfortably, I mean probably one of the last eight teams in the field. But I think that they should be in the field if they were to rattle off a 14-4 and mark in conference play. That would get them to 18-5 and heading into Brooklyn. Again, this is all under the assumption that all these games do get played, um, and I'm going to keep operating under that assumption for the sake of my job and giving you a radio show that is palatable. Um, as you look down the rest of the conference, I mentioned VC Richmond Dayton right there. Davidson's at 69, nice. St. Bonaventure at 72, Rhode Island at 79, Duquesne at 87, and then there is a large drop-off uh, to the, the basement of the league. Uh, the basement of the league right now, and I like to, to do this as well to, to tell you, these teams have no chance of competing for anything, for being competitive in the conference. They're going to be at the bottom half, bottom seven, you know, whatever. They're going to be at the bottom, and Dayton should not be losing these games under any circumstances, and a loss to one of these teams could be absolutely the worst disaster possible for Dayton's at-large hopes. So when you get to, so that huge gap that I'm talking about here, you have Duquesne at 87, UMass is at 120, and then after UMass it goes George Mason 139, Joe's at 166, LaSalle at 176, Fordham at 187, and George Washington at 246, a truly deplorable Ken Palm number for the Colonials, and luckily... Dayton has them back-to-back January 17th and 20th, so shouts out to the A-10 Conference for giving us two easy ones, God willing that the Flyers are able to pull off two wins in a row. Today I told you that we are going to be talking with the LaSalle guys. Uh, Dayton obviously opens up the schedule against LaSalle on Wednesday night, so I wanted to get their perspective, not so much on the game, but just being a LaSalle fan, um, it seems like it's a a very fruitless existence, and um, it's one of those things I feel like that if you're a fan of LaSalle, you have to constantly keep asking yourself why. Um, So Rich and Dennis are going to answer some of those questions. So stick around if you want to learn more about LaSalle and being a fan of that program. I got you covered, baby birds. I will feed you. I'll feed you all that stuff. That's at the back half of the show tonight. And I did say that we're going to get you, you know, it's going to be about an hour show. All right. So not too long, no long form conversations tonight. But now with the A-10 season upon us, I will do my best to crank out two shows a week um, unless the Flyers play one game. And then, you know, I get a nice little rest week. But I'm coming off a rest week, so I'm rested and I'm ready to go uh, to, to crank out some shows. Uh, TBD right now on the live shows. We did a couple of them. If you are just catching up, had a live show uh, the last three weeks, three Saturdays, the 5th, 12th, and 19th at Timothy's Bar and Grill on Brown Street. They went so well, and they didn't kick me out, and they liked the show, so we're going to keep on doing it through the season. So stay tuned to my Twitter account and the Talking Out Loud Twitter account for that announcement about the live shows. All right, so... Dayton, we've already said 14-4, and four, that's the expectation, that's where they need to be. Obviously, it comes with the caveat that bedshitters need to be avoided, um, and that Dayton's generally going to have to knock off one or two of the better teams in the league, and I'm talking about VCU, St. Louis, 
and Richmond. They only get Richmond once at home. Uh, they get VCU home and away, and their last game of the year is a home game against VCU. And then, of course, annually, they get St. Louis home and away. So those five games are going to be the most important on the slate. And I like to make the comparison to the NFL in that every game is going to matter from here on out. But some are going to matter more than others. And those five games are the divisional games, if you will. Uh, you know, when you talk about like the AFC North, where we're from, it's when the Steelers are playing the Browns or they're playing the Bengals or the Ravens. You know, those games just mean a little bit more because you only get six opportunities. So if you drop one, you know, you have to make it up somewhere else in those six games. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. A two and three slate for UD in those five games. Um, it, it won't knock them out of contention, but again, it just makes the hill a lot steeper to climb. So you have to expect that the Flyers are, are going to need to go three and two in those matchups um, to, again, keep pace for the at large bid, keep their name in the discussion, because right now, with where Dayton is in the analytics, there's still about 10 teams off of uh, the line for an at-large bid, about 10 to 12 teams. And VCU and Richmond are really no different. They're, they're kind of on the outside looking in right now, or they're in a position where one game could swing them out of the field from where they are now. So rest assured, I mean, I think St. Louis is a bona fide tournament team, but when you look at UD against VCU and Richmond, those three teams were all probably going to be in the same position for most of the year. Avoid bad losses and try to take care of these big games that are on your schedule because like we talk about with the A-10, there aren't so many of these opportunities and so you have to cash in uh, when there's money in your hand and that will be happening a few times. But luckily, UD's looking down a really nice, comfy, cushy start to the season here in A-10 play. They're going to open up with LaSalle and then have a home game against George Mason on Saturday. Then it's Fordham, Davidson, Duquesne in the doubleheader with GW that takes you into that Saturday game at VCU on January 23rd. So you have to, you know, I really do like the schedule. The first three weeks is setting up quite nicely. If the Flyers can go six and one, maybe say the only loss there is to uh, a Duquesne or sorry, a Davidson at Davidson, that's wholly acceptable. Um, but again, it's very possible that UD could go seven and zero in this stretch. And I will frankly be expecting them to do so. Uh, before I let the uh, guys on, Rich and Dennis, and that interview is going to be brought to you by my buddy George at mobileinspections.com, um, I wanted to just get under the hood with LaSalle really quickly to kind of set the table for Rich and Dennis. Um, we're going to go into a little bit more detail of uh, what it's like to be a LaSalle fan and why they started the podcast. Um, but what they had told me before we jumped on was that LaSalle is uh, very unpredictable as far as the style of play that they're going to throw at you. Um, if you don't know anything about the Explorers, and I really wouldn't expect you to because I didn't. I only watched their game with UMass. Uh, they've taken a loss to St. John's, St. Peter's, and Army. Uh, they also lost to UMass, and they just uh, lost a game to Maryland before Christmas, taking a 13-point loss there. Their only wins in Division One are Drexel and Delaware. And the only thing that really stands, up, stands out of the page to me um, is that they're shooting threes pretty efficiently. Um, they're almost around 40% shooting the three ball, but nothing else really um, 
again, nothing else really stands out to me. They they turn the ball over a decent amount. Uh, they don't rebound particularly well. They don't get to the line. Uh, they don't have a a style of play really. It, the games that I've looked at, uh, their tempo is up and down, and and they don't really have any of any consistency to say here's their style of play. Um, so Rich and Dennis are going to go into that a little bit, and they did mention that uh, LaSalle is is trying to build a brand of defense. And so, uh, you know, maybe another low-scoring game, and I think the Flyers are going to get into a lot of those this year because, frankly, um, they have to. They don't have a lot of scores. Uh, Before I do get to that, and I wanted to remind you once again that this interview segment with our boys from LaSalle is brought to you by my friend George over at mobileinspections.com. If you need an automotive expert that you can trust, George at Mobile Used Car Inspections is your man. Promise you that. ASC certified technician he is, who specializes in pre-purchase inspections when you are buying a used vehicle and perform certified and IRS qualified automotive appraisals for insurance and legal purposes. And George always likes me to remind you that he's been doing it since before BG introduced us to the four-man weave at Dayton, so he's been around for a while. If your car's been totaled, but your sediment seems too low, you call George. If your car's been hit, and now it has a bad Carfax report, you call George. If you have any automotive questions whatsoever, call George and he's happy to provide free advice to Flyer fans anytime. Email him at info at mobileinspections.com or simply call 937-671-0768. One more time, call George for any automotive questions. He is an automotive expert. Info at mobileinspections.com or simply call 937-671-0768. Shout out to George one more time for making this interview possible with our friends from LaSalle. And if you are asking yourself right now, fair listener, boy, Sully sounds crisp. You can thank my family for giving me a new microphone for Christmas. So they have gifted to me and I will gift right back to you better sound quality and a better quality show moving forward. And that is my Christmas gift to you. Let's get to it. Talking to Rich and Dennis, the boys from LaSalle. That interview is coming up right now. Welcome back to Talking Out Loud, the number one Dayton basketball podcast on the airwaves, internet, or otherwise. I am joined tonight by a God-honest LaSalle basketball fan, and not even just one. I got two for you. I hunted down on the internet LaSalle basketball fans, finally, and I found them. Their names are Rich and Dennis. They are at the Gola Standard on Twitter, and they actually have a LaSalle basketball podcast. So I welcome them on the program, 2013 LaSalle grads that have assured me that they still watch the program to this day and intend on tuning into the game Wednesday. So I welcome on the program, Rich and Dennis. Guys, how are we doing tonight, Dennis? I know that this is a long road for you guys to get here. You got the podcast started, you're gaining notoriety, and now you're on the number one show in the A-10. I mean, it's a slow rise, but you have to take it one step at a time. That's right. It feels good to start somewhere. Um, obviously, LaSalle has always been seen as kind of that uh, lower tier Atlantic 10 team. And the jokes were flowing on Twitter, as they always were. So when I was on Twitter, I was like, hey, I think it's time to uh, fight back, so to speak. So <laughs> we created a Twitter account. We created a podcast to uh, rather be a part of the conversation as opposed to being kind of like the punching bag of the conversation. 
I was going to say, Rich, like you, you guys kind of have been a little bit of a punching bag and you don't want to st- you don't want to go to the level of Fordham where like Fordham never punches back. So they just are the punching bag. I mean, I like to think that you guys are a, a healthy step above Fordham. We can't put you in the same same light as them. Right. That's how you guys feel, too. Right? No, no, I feel like we're a little bit ahead of them. Um, but I mean, I feel like what we're ha- what we're doing, I mean, Dennis and I. I mean, we're five episodes deep so far, and I feel like we're making progress. And every single week, we're coming out with more and more content. I feel like the team, you know, it's a young team. Um, I feel like they have a pretty, like, strong foundation. I mean, I know this conference is very good, but I think this team is on up and up, hopefully. But um, I know they still have a long way to go. Absolutely, guys. And uh, I I want to, wanted the conversation to start on a realistic tone. You guys aren't going to come in here and, and tell all the Dayton fans how great it how great LaSalle is and how great everything is. That's why I, I like a realistic tone to my show, and that's what we're going to keep going with today. Um, for all my listeners out there who may not know, LaSalle is 3-5 and five on the year. They've already played one conference game against UMass, so they'll be heading to UD Arena um this coming wednesday december 30th with that three and five record and zero and one in the a10 so far we'll get to the game in a little bit guys that's a little bit down the road stick with us listeners okay it's going to be a long journey here but guys we got to talk about kind of the uh lasalle fandom everything that comes with it and and the show so um before we got on we were talking about it a little bit but you know tell me tell listeners a little bit about, about your background and then how you guys ended up saying you know F it. We're going to do a podcast about LaSalle basketball. Well, to put it simply, we're one of the few younger folks that attend LaSalle basketball games. Um, through it all, ever since we started at LaSalle in 2009, Rich, myself, and a few other friends were the only people standing, the only people attending games that were young, that were students, honestly. There was really no interest in the basketball program. We've had people come and go. We had Eric Murray come in. He lit it up. He left. We had some uh, young guys come in, make an impact. And eventually we saw some, some growth as we pulled in some transfers and we saw something, we saw light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. So we, we continue to support the school and stand for every game. And our student section grew and the interest grew. And at the end of our four-year stay at LaSalle, we were in the Sweet 16. And it was an incredible feeling. And it was that feeling that made me want to stay involved, stay um, in touch with the program and follow along. So I know that, like I said, there aren't many young people involved with LaSalle's basketball program. And that's exactly why we wanted to do it, to kind of fill the void. And we attend every game. We're one of the few people that listens to every game. Even if it's not on TV, we'll listen to Kale. And uh, we're just trying to be there when no one else is. Well, and you guys have the rare distinction of being in school when uh, you guys had that Sweet 16 run in, in 2013, right? And you you told me that you guys not only were in school, but you were seniors. So that's kind of the top of the mountain as far as being a LaSalle fan, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah it was really cool just to like kind of be there. Um, like kind of where they started, like our freshman year, they were supposed to show a lot of promise. I think they had returned like five seniors and they had – um, Eric Murray coming in, like Jenna said, and that team kind of fell apart. Um, at that time, the A-10, you ha- I think one team didn't make like the A-10 tournament and LaSalle that first year didn't make the A-10 tournament. So <laughs> That's right. They used to, there was always like one or two teams, I think, that they held out of the tournament. Yeah. 
Yeah. So from not making the A-10 tournament our freshman year to making the NCAA tournament our senior year and going to the Sweet 16 was unbelievable. But I guess also like our junior year, they made the NIT and they actually had like a home game against Minnesota. So that was, that was pretty cool um, as well. But um, like same thing like Dennis, like I'm also like a third generation Lasallian. So Lasalle's kind of been in my blood for like a long time. So I've been watching them ever since I was like a kid. So, I mean, I've continued that tradition. Um, I mean, it hasn't always been the best, but it's always been kind of cool to see some of those like big five games and those rivalries with the other uh, Philadelphia schools. So kind of to continue that and to share someone like Dennis who, who, um, you know, we love going to games and watching all that. um, We really enjoy you're exactly right, man. I think that you hit on something that that I've always tried to say on this show is that I, it's so much about like bridging the gap from young to old because I feel like the younger fans are, you know, I call them the like the Archie Miller generation, like the kids that have just been in school the last five years, like their view of Dayton basketball is completely different from mine where Dayton didn't win a tournament game until I was 19 years old. And we went through the decade of the 90s when I was growing up when Dayton was horrible And LaSalle's kind of that same way where it's like, and Rich, I guess you could speak to this a little bit for our listeners, is that like LaSalle has this storied history and they had like a really good heyday in in the 90s in the the Metro Atlantic before they joined the A-10 with Speedy Morris. And that was the 30 and two team. But even going back, uh, you know, in the 50s and 60s, LaSalle was one of the better, or in the 50s rather, LaSalle was one of the better programs in, in the country in general out of Philly. So I think it's it's funny because like people now, like newer fans of LaSalle probably have no idea that the older culture generation was in place and there was you know so much winning involved. And, and Dayton's kind of that same way where it's like we have older fans that saw winning. Now we have newer fans that saw winning and there's, there's fans in the middle that haven't. Um, so I, I guess I'd love your perspective kind of on that. And like the ride of you, you said your third generation. So you probably know, like what's your dad's view of the LaSalle basketball program in 2020 compared to yours? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Like, um, like my grandfather graduated in 52 and um, that's when they actually won like the NCAA tournament. So, like, my dad actually, like, goes and has season tickets with us. So, like you said, it's bridged a lot of gaps, and we've seen a lot of good players from, like, he's seen, like, from the um, Lionel Simmons, the Michael Brooks, um, from, like, the Kenny Durrett's, um, Tim Legler's. So, he's seen a lot of guys, and now, you know, the 2013 team who made a Sweet 16, like Ramon Galloway's, the Tyreek Durant's, Ramon, um, Tyron Garland's, and then... I mean, you see now, but there's definitely been like a generational gap. Um, And now we're just trying to find that next group of talent with Ashley Howard. Yeah, so it brings me to uh, my trivia section of the night. Um, We're getting to trivia with with our guests tonight. Hit the music. So for trivia tonight, guys, uh, I went some, did some digging. And uh, Rich, you mentioned that LaSalle uh, won a a national title. And uh, and they did. They won the NIT, I think, in 52. And they won the NCAA tournament, I think, the year after. Something like that. There's a lot of winning in the 50s. All right. Neither here nor there. So um, I did did the math. There's one. uh, I'll say there's one team that's controversial on this list um, where, like, Wikipedia says that they went to the final four. But then, like, on basketball reference, it says that they did whatever. Okay, so there's 14 teams in the Atlantic 10. 
right now, all right? So not counting the years that they're in the Atlantic 10, I'm talking about program history in general. My trivia question to you is, how many programs in the Atlantic 10 have not made a Final Four? How many programs in the Atlantic 10 have not made a Final Four? Dennis, I'll start with you. That's a great question. I'm gonna- oh, Thank you. That's why, that's why I'm very good at this. Yeah, it's a head scratcher. I'm gonna say seven teams. I'm gonna go just split it down the middle, 50% of the Atlantic 10 in their history. You, did you say that they have to be in the conference? Or are you saying that the school's No, I'm saying just like in their basketball history in general, okay? okay. So, like, so like everybody knows George Mason went to the Final Four, right? They weren't in the A-10 at that time, right. but I'm still counting it because they're in the A-10 now. Yeah, I'm gonna go down the middle. I'm gonna go 50%. All right, Rich, what do you say? I'm gonna say nine. Nine? All right. Okay. Well, gentlemen, Rich flipped it and went the wrong way. There are nine teams in the Atlantic 10 that have been to a Final Four at one point in their existence. SLU is the one that's the outlier because it's said on basketball reference they went to a Final Four, but then it's like so long ago. It was like in 1952. But then if you go on basketball reference, it says they were in the Final Four. I don't know. Anyways, there's nine teams that have been to the Final Four. VCU in 2011, Mason in 06. Dayton went in 67. LaSalle's been there three times, it looks like. Twice they've been there. Joe's went in 61. Bonna in 1970. Duquesne way back when in the 50s. UMass, obviously, in 95. And then the controversial slew team that I just referenced. The teams in the A-10 that have not made the Final Four. Richmond, Rhode Island, Fordham, Davidson, George Washington. That's your list, fellas. That's trivia for this evening. So, Let's go to talk about the game uh, this week, guys. So tell me a, a little bit about, uh, before we get into, I guess, the game specifically, the program. So uh, for Flyer fans out there that don't know, Dr. John G., everybody knows him. He was a coach at LaSalle from 2004 until they let him go in 2018. So what was the situation there? They let him go, or they let him walk, or they didn't renew his contract? I couldn't remember that, guys. So they basically parted ways mutually. That's probably the most PR way you can say that. Um, okay. Do we know the real reason? <laughs> no, Speak I mean, real, please. The, results, the results weren't great. Let's let's be real. The, the, sure. the formula of bringing in transfers, uh, basically kids that were from Philly left to a Power 5 conference, came home because it wasn't the right fit. They came to LaSalle. That worked really well in 2013, 2012. But every other year, it worked horribly. It did not work at all. And that is basically the reason why he was on the hot seat in the latter half of his career. Um, quite often, we would have a, a shortened bench. Uh, personnel was always an issue. And it just looked like he wasn't a very good in-game coach at times. So for all of those reasons, it was time to move on and try and kind of move along with the way college basketball is going. Um, Philadelphia is a, is a unique situation. We used to be like a powerhouse in college basketball, and now the Big Five is, is somewhat suffering. So to bring in Ashley Howard, who has two national championships, obviously that's that's a lot better than John Giannini's uh, national championship with Rowan, um, lest we forget. Um, but uh, it's definitely going to hopefully pr propel the program forward and bring the Big Five back to uh, the prominence that it once was. Yeah, so for my listeners that might not know Philly basketball, um, it, it's kind of funny. I try to explain it to people in that, like, Philly basketball is one of the most insular 
scenes in the basketball community. Like when you talk about, oh, kids that came from Brooklyn or New York and and kids that came from the East Coast versus the West Coast, like nothing is as insular as Philly basketball. I, do you guys know like why that is? And, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like guys like Bruiser Flint, the, they've been around coaching in Philly. Like they just happen to have this Philly culture. They recruit Philly really well. And if you're not like in the bubble in the Philly basketball culture, like you're an outsider, right? Do you guys know why that is? Or, or maybe that's just historical and it's taken shape over decades. It's definitely historical. Um, when you look at, we have a, at the end of each season, there's a big five banquet. So uh, basically it's, it's a fraternity. Oh, yeah, sorry. Tell them the five teams that are in, in the big five. Sorry. Well, we've got LaSalle, we've got St. Joe's, we've got Penn, we've got Temple and we've got Villanova. And then we also have Drexel. So a lot of people yeah. say <laughs> they're, the bastard child. Yeah. they're always kind of left out in this situation. Uh, but, <laughs> Naturally, the Big Five has kind of built a fraternity over the years, and it is, I would say, 80 percent historical uh, because of kind of the downturn that the Big Five has has taken. Um, a, a lot of kids are leaving for Power Five schools or Villanova, and I don't know. It, it seems like it's not what it used to be, but the coaches will always beef up and talk up the games against Big Five opponents because it's historically what we've always done. So. When that game is at the Palestra, whatever opponents might be there, there's going to be a lot of hype around it in the local media. And I know this is a tough media market for sports. There's a lot of professional teams and there's a lot of noise. But in most cases, when you've got a big five school taking on another big five school at the Cathedral of Basketball, it's going to raise some eyebrows and people are going to pay attention. Sure. Yeah, sure. No, I agree. Um, Rich, let me ask you this, man. So you guys are in year three of Ashley Howard. You had 10 wins in the first year. He's got 15 wins in the second year. This year, you're probably going to be right around 500 again with a young team, right? So, like, more holistically, what's the recipe for success moving forward for LaSalle basketball? Because, like, let's be honest, okay? I don't think LaSalle is ever going to be, like, a perennial year-in, year-out A-10 contender. What you're hoping to do is stock up, like, every three or four years and make a run, right? That's what I think. What do you see as, like, the the formula for how LaSalle can be successful as a basketball program moving forward? That's a great question. I feel like I've been talking about this a lot on our podcast. And I feel, I mean, actually, you said Ashley Howard's in year three. And I feel like the way for them to win, or at least the formula is for them to kind of be, you mentioned his name earlier, Bruiser Flynn, like his style. It seems like Ashley Howard's kind of imploring like a defensive kind of style where he has all his guards, they're guarding up. And I feel like they're putting a lot of pressure um, on the perimeter. Um, he doesn't really have a lot of front court depth, but he has a lot of guards that they're um, making every single possession really tough um, for the offense. So I feel like he's kind of building that. Like right now we have two pretty good freshman uh, guards. Um, I feel like they're going to be heavily um, – on the perimeter, they're going to depend heavily on three-point shot. Um, but I feel like their identity is going to be defense. They're not going to be getting – like their front court, they're not going to be getting big, like good big guys at LaSalle. Or it's going to be tough for them to recruit guys like that. Yep. But I feel like they're going to be, you know, it's very scrappy. Um, and every single possession is going to be tough. To, they're going to be tough to be scored on. I feel like that kind of defensive um, identity is what I think Ashley Howard is going to – that's his style. Yeah. So let me let me ask you guys this, because I'm sure that it's a question that Dayton fans want me to ask, and I'm going to do it. 
Do you guys think, and you can each answer in your own words on this because this is your platform. You, you get to, you know, this is why we brought you on the show. You get to speak for yourself. You get to speak for LaSalle fans a little bit, right? Do you guys think at this point in 2020 that LaSalle is best suited in the A-10 conference? Dennis, I guess you can start. Well, <laughs> the glaring issue in this situation is our facilities. Uh, we are not a school that is even remotely competitive in the area of facilities. Um, and oh, why is that? Do we, is there a reason behind that? Or is it just kind of like LaSalle isn't prioritized? Like, okay, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But like, I, I wanted to give an example. At Duquesne, they had an administration for years. And I'm talking about like 20 years that was like, we are not going to prioritize athletic funding. They're just not going to do it. And consequently, their athletics suffered because of it. Then they got a new athletic director, a new administration. The guy actually came from Dayton, funny enough, not patting myself on the back. It's just factual. And he came into the program and they were like, we're going to prioritize basketball. We're going to prioritize athletics. They dumped money in. They started building new facilities. And, you know, here we go. Duquesne, actually, they have like a, a coach who people know about. And, you know, the story kind of writes itself. Now they're a little bit more relevant than they were before. So is there a reason for that or no? Or don't you know? I don't know. Well, to, to sum it up, there's been a degree of complacency among the athletic department in, path, in the past. Um, so the history of LaSalle, there's always been a Christian brother as president. And for the first time in our school's history, we have a, um, a non-layperson president. I think layperson is the correct term there. She, yeah. that's, that's exactly what happened at Duquesne, too. They had a, a priest that was like head of administration, and then he left, and now they're prioritizing athletics. Right. It, that's kind of what's happening here, because we obviously got the best coaching prospect we could possibly get in Ashley Howard. We're obviously prioritizing men's basketball while also sadly eliminating seven or eight other sports. I don't know if you saw that news, but LaSalle is trying to catch up with the rest of the A-10. We were one of the schools that had the most uh, D1 programs. So uh, whether it be like swimming or uh, golf or other things, like they, they slimmed it down. We're trying to be more lean and try and play catch up in a sense. And I think in, in five to 10 years, we can be caught up, so to speak. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, you know, but then that asks that that begs a question. Like, you know, does the fan base have enough time? Like, you know, what happens in that five years? So basically, you're telling me right now that if if LaSalle stays on the track that they're on, they're going to be a at least a competitive Atlantic Ten team in the next four or five years. Does that sound realistic to you guys as fans? I think so. Rich, can you, can you speak on that? Do you, do you believe that it, that's like our trajectory? Like what you were saying earlier, I feel like that was a loaded question because I know we've talked about this a lot and I feel like to answer your question, I don't know if people are not going to let me for saying this, but I don't, I mean, I think Ashley Howard is going to do the best he can, but I don't think, I don't think, I, do, I mean, you know what the arena looks like. I don't think we have the facilities to, compete in this conference. I'm, I hate to say that, but I don't think in the next three or five years, I mean, I maybe they'll be middle of the pack at some point, but I never see them kind of eclipsing that mark. But I feel like for the, if they really want to compete, they're, prob- they're probably best off at um, going to another conference, probably taking a step down. I know no one wants to hear that. I feel like the Atlantic 10 is a great conference and it's a very competitive one. Um, for the schools that it has. And um, I don't think we kind of have the facilities to kind of compete. I know I feel like the A-10 is kind of competing with some of those other, like 
it's almost at the range of like a power five conference. Not there yet, but I feel like it's on the verge. And I feel like we don't have the facilities to compete. I feel like our school's kind of struggling a little bit financially. But yeah. um, so it's kind of tough to put athletics in the front. But um, like, I just don't, I don't see that. I really don't. Um, it's a shame, but I don't, I, it's, I think it's best off if uh, they're probably to take a step down. Well, yeah, and honestly, man, like I wasn't trying to to load the question up for you guys to go one way or another. I just want to have an honest fan perspective about it because we talk about it all the time, and it's it's really easy for Dayton fans behind the keyboard to be like, LaSalle and Fordham gotta go. But you know, there's so many other factors into this, you know, the, the sports that they're doing well in. And like, you know, like you said, they've had a lot of programs at LaSalle. Fordham just won the women's basketball title, I think, last year or the year before. I mean, of course, women's basketball doesn't make even close to the amount that men's does, and it's not really prioritized because it shouldn't be monetarily because it doesn't make that much money. Um, but my point is just that there are other factors that go into it other than like kicking Fordham out of the conference. It's like, yeah, that sounds good in theory, but there's steps that need to be done. So when I ask you guys that question, it's not me kind of leading you down some primrose path. I'm just kind of saying like as fans, I look at it as – if we're not competing to go to the tournament, why are we here? And as a smaller program like LaSalle, right, you have to say, okay, we need to find the best way or the best avenue to get ourselves into the tournament every year. And if I'm being honest with you guys, I just don't feel like that is here in the A-10 anymore for LaSalle for some of the reasons that you guys mentioned. I mean, do you agree or disagree with that sentiment? I agree. I agree. I feel like if they went to like the MAC with like Ryder and Manhattan, those teams, I feel like they'd be better off competing against those teams and have a better shot at going to the tournament. But here's well, the- let me ask you this. Hold on, Dennis, let me ask you okay. this. If you guys go uh, 13 and three in the MAC conference and then you lose a heartbreaker um, championship game that you miss out on the tournament, okay, like on your conference tournament, isn't that more exciting than going eight and 10 or seven and nine every year in the a 10? I mean, who wouldn't sign up for that? Right. You have a great point there. And I, I, I do selfishly. I would love to see that. I personally would love to see that, but I would too. It's not like I'm shitting on LaSalle because like, I want them to fail. I mean, you know, oh, I totally understand the a 10 wants to help other a 10 schools. It's like, it, it's, it's I, you. Yeah. I you it's a labor of love. <laughs> it's a labor of love. You, we're going to talk trash on the inferior a 10 schools to try and, boost them up and get better. It's just the way it is. We, When I think about St. Joe's uh, and I think about the other Philly schools, the, I, I just don't like the reputation that would come upon us if we dropped in a conference. It's like we, we worked so hard. We got Ashley Howard. We also have an athletic director from, from Northwestern. He came in. He's going to build a pool on camp, a beach on campus. I'm just kidding there. But you never know, man. You already have a pool in your basketball arena. Right. How many pools do you people need? We want another one. We want beachfront property in Northeast Philly. But <laughs> I've been remiss. So basically, what I'm trying to say is this school has worked so hard. And, and if COVID didn't happen, I think we'd be on a great trajectory. But the financials are not good right now. The school is overall is just not where it needs to be as a school in general. So we're fighting an immensely uphill battle. So to, to Rich's point, that might be a, a consideration in five to 10 years. I am praying that it's not. I'm praying that Ashley can write the storm and we have a basketball program that's worth looking at as well as a, a college overall that's growing in many ways, but they have to adapt quickly and adjust quickly. And I think they've somewhat done that 
in some respects, but they need to keep doing it. They just, I, I, I am nervous. I, I will echo Rich's sentiment that I'm very nervous about the, within the next five to 10 years. If, if, if LaSalle is in a lower conference, if LaSalle is a college re- at all, honestly. <laughs> but but that's, that's a knife that cuts both ways, right? Because if you're going to tell me LaSalle is struggling as a school, they're struggling financially, what is their best avenue to make money? Staying in the A-10 conference. I mean, you know, you're not going to make that kind of TV money when you go down to the MAC. Just like... Um, a Big East program is going to make a ton more money than they would if they came down to the A-10. I mean, it's simple economics. You give yourself the best chance at at making money and being successful as an athletics program when you're higher up. So I definitely hear you there, Dennis. Is like, uh, and, the, and of course, when you're around the city and you're already scratching and clawing to be relevant to begin with in the Big Five, that's such a storied um, basketball group in Philly – you know, taking that step down, then you're always going to be little brother. Right. And, and I understand that guys, I, I can, I get it, you know? Um, but I, you know, started the conversation just to kind of see where you guys, where your heads were at, because like I said, if I'm a fan, I would rather us, you know, win 13 or 14 games in a small conference and take our chance over one weekend in March, than go through this crap every year where it's like, we're seven and 11, we're eight and 10, we're six and 12. It's like, that just gets old. Right. You're absolutely right. You definitely preach into the choir that our record would not indicate a successful A-10 campaign every year. Every year we act, we leave first or second round of the A-10s. It's, it's very disappointing. The morale is very low on our side in, in a lot of ways. But um, obviously, why did we start the podcast? Why did we start the Twitter account? To try and boost morale, to try and gain some interest and talk about the issues that they face. Because when people are more informed... They're less likely to talk trash. <laughs> yeah, no, isn't that the truth? But again, like I told you guys, I get people all the time that are just like, kick LaSalle and Fordham out and let's go from there. And it's like, okay, you're just talking like a Dayton homer that has one perspective. You have to understand the other side of things. And, and that's why I thought that this conversation piece was most important from you guys was to hear like, there are reasons that LaSalle is going to stick it out in the Atlantic 10. And you guys telling me that they're investing in the basketball program obviously gives me you know, some reason for optimism. But like, so one of you guys walk me through the arena because we've talked about it here on the podcast a lot that there's a swimming pool. I believe I've never been there, but I know it's like above or below the arena. And so the guys always talk about how it's the floor is kind of like wet sometimes and it smells like chlorine. So what is the deal on the South? Campus? Rich, I'll start here, but we've been in Tom Gold arena. We've been in the Hammond center plenty of times. Uh, so we can give you the lay of the land. Yes. When you're walking around the Hammond center uh, to enter the front door, there is a door that would take stairs down to the pool. That is like the emergency exit. So yes, you can smell chlorine upon entry into the Heyman Center. Um, if you go to the left, we just got a new uh, hideaway tent. So that's kind of like a pregame, get some drinks, etc. But if you bear right, you will see the pool. You can go down and basically it would be below, below ground in a sense. Um, but there is a second floor. A lot of people don't know this. There is a second floor at the Heyman Center. Um, and that is where our athletics facilities, our athletics offices are. And uh, there's a staircase on the side to get there, but not many people can get there unless obviously you're an athlete. I believe that's where LaSalle's locker rooms are. Um, and and then eventually as you climb about four flights of steps, you get to the Tom Gola Arena while passing the, obviously the, 
the sparse concessions. Um, but <laughs> the, the arena is very unique. I know uh, we were on a podcast with the St. Bonaventure guys, and they were talking about, they asked if a basketball could potentially, if it was a bad pass, could potentially end up in the bathroom. And that is correct. That is 100% correct because Rich and I would play basketball on that court. There are no rec facilities uh, aside from Tom Gola Arena. So we played intramural basketball on the the storied Tom Gola court. So, <laughs> so we've seen balls dribble right into the bathroom. We've experienced it firsthand, and we can confirm that exists. So just th- that just shows you how uh, uh, high school-esque the Tom Gola Arena is. Now, have you guys, either of you guys, been to UD Arena before? Yes, we were there, uh, obviously, in the, the, the play-in game uh, on our run to the okay. Sweet 16. Um, that was quite an amazing sight to see that an A-10 school can have such a robust uh, facility. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, you know, for us, it's it's kind of um, a fact that Dayton was at the, the right place at the right time in the 60s, and they had the foresight to build an arena before it was fashionable to do so. Um, and that's really the entire story around why Dayton has an arena. Uh, the, the final four run kind of galvanized support in the community for it um, in 67. And there's a, a story that my listeners know that I'll share with you guys because we're on the show that when Dayton was going to the final four, I believe they clinched their berth in Evanston. And uh, the athletic director came up to the coach and said, coach, you just built UD arena. And that was in 1967. So it's not like we can take credit as fans. Now it was the foresight of a generation ago to say, Hey, this community cares about basketball. We're going to put an arena here. But again, it's a lot easier in Dayton, Ohio than to put it in Philadelphia. You know, the cost alone is, is a lot. We're 30, but okay. So I'll, I'll put my, uh, my UD arena experiences aside just for a second, because now we're 30 minutes into the podcast and we don't really, we haven't really talked about the game at all. I remember before you came on guys, you were like, well, okay, what are we talking about? We talk about the game. And I said, no, it's going to be about 20 minutes in before we get to the game. Well, it's 30 minutes in here we are. So uh, I, I know that you guys are the in-house uh, LaSalle experts. And again, we're talking to Dennis and Rich uh, that are at the Gola Standard. They run the LaSalle Basketball Podcast. They're joining us today to talk about the Dayton UD game coming up here on the uh, last part of Talking Out Loud. And thanks for joining us. Um, the segment was brought to you by a couple of different people that I'll list off here before we, we finish up. Uh, guys, Give me the lowdown on LaSalle. What have you seen so far? You're three and five. Nothing crazy impressive. Lost some good teams, lost some bad teams. Let's hear it. All right. So we were coming off, I feel like, our best game of the season. It was a loss, but it was to Maryland. And I really feel like this team kind of battled. Um, like I said before, they're kind of starting to build that defensive identity. But they're kind of – I'm kind of impressed. I didn't know what the – um, coming into the year, I know what to expect, but they have two pretty good freshman guards. Freshman point guard, Jameer Brickus. He's you wouldn't really tell he's a freshman. He's kind of calm and collective. Um, they also have Amor Gill, and he's kind of a shifty left-handed guard. He's not afraid to go to the hoop. You'll see him constantly drive. And um, they also have senior David Beatty. I probably should say. I was looking at Dayton, and they have like four guys who average double digits. LaSalle doesn't have any double-digit score, but they have about like eight guys who average between, I guess, like 9.5 and like six points. So you're going to see a lot of guys playing. And I also saw that Dayton, I feel like, may plays like six guys around 30 minutes, but LaSalle plays 
maybe 10 guys. So you're going to see definitely. So I'm kind of curious how, um, from going from Maryland to Dayton, how they're kind of, how they play. Cause I feel like they played, they gave Maryland a game. I mean, they lost by 13, but, um, they had within five, but I feel like some of the uh, one of the, some of the Achilles heel of the team, they're going to fail a lot. I, I feel like they've almost failed, had like twenty thousand each game. I feel like they're going to turn the ball over. They're kind of young, and um, I feel like they're so there are some of the weaknesses, but um, they're very gritty. You have to have that. You have to have grit if you're at yeah. the bottom of the A10. I absolutely agree with you there. Yeah, Dennis, what's the, the thing that stands out to you about how this team gets exposed uh, to, to get beat on a nightly basis? Uh, I would say it's our limited front court. Uh, we have an Indiana transfer, Clifton Moore. He's holding his own quite well, I would say. I'm pretty impressed with him. But other than that, we really don't have much in, in the way of a front court uh, in, in depth. So Jared Kimbrough, it would be our second in line there. And uh, he, he doesn't have much of an offensive game. He'll hold his own. Um, we also have Jack Clark and Christian Ray, who are, are, are kind of our wings, but they surprisingly can hold their own uh, in the paint. Christian Ray specifically, he's, he's that gritty guy that uh, he won't have a lot of uh, numbers pop up in the stat sheet, but he can contribute in other ways. And one of those ways being trying to hold his own against your biggest uh, player. So uh, hopefully if, if those guys don't get into foul trouble, uh, that weakness will not be exposed and we can hopefully – contain the, the three-headed monster in, in uh, your, your backcourt. Yeah, and that's what it's all about with Dayton. You know, if you can, if you can limit the contributions of, of Watson and Crutcher, you're going to have a good chance to beat us. And that, that's really the formula right now. Um, additionally, UD's turning the ball over a lot. So I think they're going to continue to turn the ball over, and they're not going to rebound so well. Dayton can win despite the rebounding deficiencies, but if you get enough turnovers, you probably beat them, and that's how SMU beat them was just turn the ball over, forcing them into bad looks. Um, so – you guys, we've we've kind of touched on this a little bit um, with you know where the program is going and how they're going to be successful. But from your perspective, I mean, have you guys been pretty happy with the job Ashley Howard's been doing? And what's he? What's his message to like fans and people that are paying attention? Like, what does he want to convey about the program? You mentioned the defensive style, but does he kind of have a message about like this is who we're going to be moving forward? His uh, his hashtag has always been believe. And I, I like it. I think that uh, what we want to see and what he's been preaching is development, something that we really didn't see under John Giannini. We brought in transfers that were going on their third, fourth year in college. So those guys are going to be kind of what you get. They're, they're not going to be much development there. But well, what we're seeing with Ashley is he's, he's kind of helping people grow and, and making sure that they're going to be better than the, the year that they came in. So with that, I know that uh, a lot of people I, I've heard say this, we're, we're kind of, we, our goal is to be Villanova light. I would love it in a sense. I would love them to be Villanova light in a way that uh, Ashley Howard talks to the refs like Jay Wright does. That'd be great if he could work those refs a little bit more. But uh, from a player perspective, uh, Ashley's looking for guys that are going to give us four years and have the ability to grow and if you're not going to grow, chances are you're going to be on your way out. We had, uh, and not to say that this is what happened, but we've had, uh, obviously, um, I'm, tr- I'm blanking on the name. We might have to cut this, but our Providence, uh, Ed, Ed Croswell. Ed, so, Ed, Ed Cooley you're talking about? 
Oh, sorry. He we have Ed, Ed Croswell. He used to be at LaSalle. He he's with Ed Cooley now in Providence. Ah, uh, yeah, um, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. So then we also lost uh, Brandon Stone just now, basically two weeks ago, to uh, Robert Morris University. So the culture seems to be strong in a sense that if you're not with it, get lost in a sense. So um, I do I, I do see that as being a positive in that this is a, a team that is kind of like a band of brothers, and if if you're not with us. You're against us, so to speak. Rich, we've seen a, a lot of uh, LaSalle games where they've snuck up us, snuck up on Dayton over the years, and uh, and maybe maybe won some games that they shouldn't have, from my perspective at least. But um, I, I have a, a great question to end the podcast, but we're not quite there yet. My question before we get towards the end there is: How does LaSalle sneak up on Dayton uh, on Wednesday? What, what do they have to do to get it done? I feel like in order for LaSalle to have a shot against Dayton. On Wednesday, I feel like they have to bring that um, defensive intensity, like I've been saying. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they have to kind of, I guess, tire them out. Like you're saying, um, Dayton doesn't play many guys. They play, like you said, six guys in the rotation. LaSalle plays 10. So I feel like a kind of formula for LaSalle to be competitive is to kind of press the ball and kind of try to tire them out. LaSalle has a lot of guards they can kind of put into the lineup. Um, and I feel like they have to make a three-point shot. If they don't make their three-point shot, they're going to have a tough time against Dayton. Yeah, and that's kind of been a formula for for us is that Dayton's had great defense. And they've kind of uh, they've been able to to work off the back of that. Um, but yeah, you know, if a team gets hot against UD, I, I could see that they'll you know, be in a problem. And certainly, like I said, LaSalle is. Um, They've given it to us before. Archie Miller used to go down there biannually and take a loss in Philadelphia. That was like his thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, just Dr. John, man, he always had Archie's number for one reason or another. Um, okay, so my last question for you guys wrapping up the show tonight, and I do want to say thank you so much for coming on and giving Flyer fans a perspective of LaSalle fans. Of course. Um, but you, you mentioned on the start of the show that it's it's pain, it's suffering. And you guys, obviously, if I said, what's the greatest LaSalle memory that you have? I already know what it is. You guys went to the Sweet 16 your senior year. That's that's the top of the mountain. Okay. What what are the, the most painful individual memories each of you have about LaSalle basketball? Where was the rock bottom? What was the most painful memory? Uh, Dennis, I'll let you start. Well, this is a rough story. I feel like losing Eric Murray... Uh, not being able to make that work. I think that we would have a much better sophomore year at LaSalle if we had Eric Murray uh, playing to the his best. And that's that always irks me as like the one that got away, so to speak. That would have been what? He went over 2011, he went, right? Yeah, yeah. He went. He transferred to uh, Texas Southern. He dropped like a probably a record at the Leah Corps Center against Temple. I forget how many points he scored, but he, he basically came back to Philly and showed out. And then he went to West Virginia um, and uh, things have, haven't been great. So that's definitely a talent that I would have loved to see grow with the LaSalle basketball program, because if he was on the, the, the sweet 16 team, I think uh, we'd probably go even deeper in that, in that run. Rich, you've seen a lot of basketball. What's, what's the most painful LaSalle memory you got? Oh, uh, the one that kind of sticks out is I think this was a couple of years after Dennis and I graduated in 2013 I think it was a couple years after um, LaSalle was playing Miami at the Palestra. And I mean, that was, you know, Palestra game you always get up for, you know, Dennis referenced it earlier as being the Cathedral basketball. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I feel like every time you get there a special place, 
and they played Miami and they lost by like 45 points or something like that. <laughs> and it was just like so embarrassing. Like at halftime, they were kind of history. And Larry Nega, you know, I think he's the guy who um, took Mason to the Final Four yep. back in, yeah, in the 2000s. And he had them keep on going and going. Like they were just running up the score. And I was like, like wow, like so, so embarrassing. I think, like, I was like a rows behind Larinaga, and it was they they put a whooping on us. So that was that was not the prettiest sight. Oh my god! No, I'm cracking up over here because I literally just mentioned how Archie Miller took his biannual loss, and it, honestly, he just he lost to LaSalle like every year. Um, but you're talking about that game, okay? So for my listeners, uh, the game that that Rich is talking about was Tuesday, December twenty second, twenty fifteen. They lost ninety five to forty nine to Miami, Florida, at the Palestra, like an absolutely embarrassing loss. The team would finish the year nine and twenty two, four and fourteen in the A ten. I'm laughing hysterically because not two weeks later they played Dayton. Okay, three weeks later, January 9th at Tom Gold Arena, and they beat UD, who was ranked 25th in the country. They beat him 61-57. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like there. Wow. that's crazy. Wow. That's A-10 hoops, baby. That's A-10 hoops. <laughs> oh, wow. man. Well, we're rad- wrapping up now with uh, Rich and Dennis. They're at the Gold Standard. One more time on Twitter, they do the LaSalle Basketball Podcast. Uh, we get them once a year, and uh, that is coming up on the 30th, Wednesday night. Dayton's taking on LaSalle. Guys, like I said, pleasure having you on. I-, I let all of my guests have final thoughts. Anything you want to share with us? Anything you want to tell Dayton fans? Anything you'd like to convey about being a LaSalle fan? The final thoughts floor is open to you. Uh, Rich, I will let you start your final thoughts for the evening, my friend. All right. Zoe, thanks again for having us on. Um, yeah, a couple of things I want to say. I feel like whenever Dennis and I would um, you know, go to the Tom Bowl Arena and see Dane play, I always give Dane a lot of credit for their fan base. They always show up, and I feel like they're very, very passionate. I feel like half the time you probably see um, chants probably breaking out louder than the ones that we would have. So I, it just impressed me um, for Dane when they always had a good turnout. Um, when they came to the arena, and I know it's it's not a close hike. I don't know if there's closet Dayton fans at Philadelphia. I don't think that's a thing, but um, they you tell, yeah, Dayton's a strong program, and they really show out. I, I like to yeah. think that we are, yeah. Uh, Dennis, final thoughts on your end, brother? Definitely echoing what Rich said. Obviously, Dayton is one of the upper tier A10 schools, and uh, they do travel well. So shout out to the Dayton fans, um, and. and the memory I have about Dayton in the past is obviously going to the arena and I didn't get a chance to go with the team throughout the sweet 16 run, but I was there for the play in game against Boise state. And it was definitely one of the greatest sports memories of my life. So I thank Dayton for being able to host that wonderful memory. And uh, obviously LaSalle isn't what they used to be. And we all obviously take a lot of heat from a 10 Twitter, but we're here. We're fighting back, and we're going to rise from the ashes. I need John Rothstein to quote that. I need that on a T-shirt when Ashley makes an, a Sweet 16 run of his own. Oh, gosh. I'll double down on that just to end the show on a great note because we love when people talk about our arena. Um, you know, was there anything that stood out to you about UD Arena? I mean, obviously, like, you know, you guys won the game. It was a great memory and, you know, won the first floor. But is there anything specifically you remember about, like, wow, the arena was great for this out of the other thing? Eh, I wish I could sit closer. I wish our tickets were a little bit closer. I know that it was it was a playing game, so there was there was four teams there, so four different schools were represented. But 
uh, they kind of gave us uh, seats a little bit higher up. I kind of knock them for that, but <laughs> a beautiful arena all in all. And just the, the moment was, was incredible because I don't think I had been to an, an Atlantic 10 arena like that. Uh, the only other A10 arena I was at was Fordham, which is obviously <laughs> not UD arena. So yeah. that was pretty incredible. I just wish I was a little bit closer to the court. Yeah. It's called Rose Hill gym for a reason. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're finishing up with the guys tonight. Thanks for everybody for sticking around. Uh, we'll make this a short episode tonight. Nothing else coming up on the horizon. Dayton and LaSalle. That'd be December 30th, Wednesday night, tipping off at seven o'clock guys, seven Eastern, I believe, right? Seven Eastern. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Here we go. Seven Eastern. We're red. Be loud. Be nice to LaSalle fans. See you later, nerds.
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. 